Welcome back to our series on living lessons. We're studying various characters of the Bible, and I think if you see a pattern beginning to emerge, it's this. Some of the stories in the scriptures between 2,000 and 3,000 or more years old turn out to be as freshly relevant in our lives today as they were when the people were living. In this lesson, I'd like to talk to you about Daniel and some of his friends. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. We're going to just look at one incident in chapter 1 of Daniel. While you're turning there, let me set this historically for us. In our last lesson, we talked about King David. That's about 1,000 years before the time of Christ. After David is king, there become a line of kings, and you may remember there were high points and low points and difficulties in Israel's history. But it gets to the point where around 600 BC, Israel is being menaced by the Babylonian Empire in the north. Think modern day Iraq. But the Babylonian Empire is menacing the land of Palestine, the land of Canaan, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians, comes and besieges Jerusalem. And in 605 BC, he leaves Jerusalem intact, but he takes some of the best and brightest, some of the young men, some of the officials, back to Babylon to guarantee their good behavior. And as you'll see in our story, also to put these young men to work in the government. Eventually, Babylon will destroy Jerusalem in 586 BC. But our story opens a little bit before that. And let me read Daniel chapter 1. And let's introduce ourselves to Daniel and his friends and talk about two concepts. One, the idea of assimilation into a culture. And number two, the idea of compromising with a culture. You'll see what I mean. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, the Jewish king, and this is 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple, etc. The king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. Now this court official was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, and the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from his own table. He was going to take care of them. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Now among these were some from Judah, a young man named Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, and these are the names you'll probably remember. To Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah became Shadrach, and uh, Mishael became Meshach, and Azariah became Abednego, or Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and so he asked the chief official per for permission to not eat that food. Now, the official said, but wait a minute, if the king sees that you are not as healthy as the others, he'll cut off my head. But Daniel persisted and said to the guard that the chief official had pointed over him and says, test us for 10 days and just give us vegetables and water. And if at the end of that time we aren't as healthy as everyone else, we'll eat the food. But at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other young men, men who ate the royal food. 
So the guard took away that food and allowed them to eat that. Now God gave these young men knowledge and so as they studied they began to excel. And so at the end of the time set by the king, when three years had passed, he came before Nebuchadnezzar and he talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. The story of these four young men is very interesting and very relevant in a couple of ways. But first, let me just point out, this is how Babylon, by the way, managed its territories. They would bring some of the best and brightest, they would educate them, teach them the literature and language of Babylon, and then they'd put them to work in the service. That did two things for them. First, it made it less likely for that province to rebel because you took a lot of the leaders away. And secondly, you got the brightest minds and the sharpest young men and women, and you were able to train them and make them your government civil servants. And so hopefully, Babylon thought, we'll have a better government because of it. Very successful plan for them. It called for them to assimilate these young people. And that's what was going to happen. They were going to teach them the literature of Babylon. They were going to train them for three years. And you notice they gave them new names. They labeled them. And these names are interesting because all of the names of these young men are very biblical in the sense that they all contain the name of God in them. It's called a theophoric element. El is a Hebrew word for God, and Yah comes from Yahweh, the name of God. So you have Daniel, you have Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. These are good religious names. And so they rebrand them with good Babylonian names. For example, Bel is one of the Babylonian gods. So Bel to Shazar. You get uh, Abednego. Nebo was one of the Babylonian gods. So they changed the names of these, of these young men from godly names to names of Babylonian gods. They teach them the literature and they're trying to assimilate them. In your groups, you may want to spend a little time talking about how we assimilate People in our culture, all cultures attempt to assimilate people into an identity. What does it mean to be a Babylonian? What does it mean to be a Jew? What does it mean to be an American? A couple of ideas. One are laws. Laws in a country are attempts to transmit values, to assimilate it. You see a lot of values in America based on our laws. We value, by and large, human life. I'm not telling you that we're not inconsistent about that sometimes, but for example, uh, you get a trial in our country. You can't be put in prison just because somebody doesn't like you. You have due process. In other words, these things transmit some of our values and we try to assimilate people. Some of our laws begin to incorporate values of political correctness and they can become oppressive and they are ways to assimilate people. Another great way is media. Television, social media, movies, Media is an assimilation mechanism. It's not just entertainment. It's transmitting ideas. Television programs aren't just there to get advertiser dollars. That happens, but they also embody in them ideas. They're trying to win people over and assimilate them. The studying of the literature of Babylon is kind of like the equivalent of today of watching the television shows of our culture. In fact, this is kind of a sideline, but I want you to understand that this, this really is the way this works. People in the Middle East, one of the reasons they hate America, 
people there see America as morally bankrupt is some of the things we've exported to them are some of our programming, our MTV and various other programs, and they see these as transmitting values they don't share. And instead of being assimilated, they become hostile. Well, that's what's going on here, and it's timeless. It's something that happens in our culture as well. Daniel and his friends participate in that system. In other words, they do study and they learn. But Daniel and his friends are careful about this idea of assimilation, and they're going to wrestle with the idea of compromise. Let me give you an example. We've spoken before about building circles uh, in your friendships. For example, there's a large, imagine a large circle, and in it is everyone that you know. And that's a good thing. Make it a big circle. It's great to know and associate with a lot of people, a lot of different people, and they can have different ideas, and they may be Christian, they may not be Christian. But inside this large circle is a smaller circle called the circle of influence. These are the people in your life whom you allow close enough to influence you. And it's really important that you be very intentional about who gets to be in that circle. Who are the kind of people that you're going to allow the kind of access and intimacy with you to influence you? Those of you who are parents are probably very familiar with this idea, particularly with your children. You want to be very careful about intentionally picking the people who can be in that circle who have the ability to influence your children. Well, the same can be said of ideas. There is a great circle of ideas in the world, and I think as Christians we are inquisitive. We want to know science and literature and philosophy. It's great to explore the ideas of the world, but there's a smaller circle, and there are only certain places that we will allow to influence us. For example, as a child, you can't imagine that you would sit your child down and say, you could just watch whatever programming you want for the next 15 years of your life, and I'll let the advertisers and I'll let the media have completely unfiltered access to your little brain. Well, you wouldn't even imagine that. But the truth is, we need to be a little careful about ourselves as well. A lot of times assimilation comes in under some of our radar. And I hope you'll talk about that in your groups as well. What are ways that the culture tries to assimilate us? And what are some of the boundaries that we'll put up? One interesting thing I'd like to finish on and make this observation about Daniel and his friends. Notice that they did take the training. They accepted the new names. But they refused to eat the food. And I think it's worth thinking through, why did they draw the line there? Well, in that case, I think there are several reasons, one of which might be that they were drawing what they thought was God's line. God hadn't forbidden them from reading the literature of the Babylonians. They didn't think it was terribly important what someone called them and they responded to, but they did think it was important to obey some things God had specifically said about what to eat. And this is the idea of compromise. And you see in Daniel and his friends that they draw the line in the, in the sand for, you know, we will not compromise with the culture on this issue. You know, that's a timeless issue. We have the same battle. All the ways our culture wants to assimilate us, there's so many things that it's fine for us to participate in. It's perfectly good for us to read and think and know a lot of different people, but where will we draw the line to say, I won't cross this, I will not compromise on this issue. I think the challenge for us, and one of the great things to learn in this lesson, 
is how to take this example of Daniel and his friends, transfer it today and ask ourselves the kinds of questions like what lessons can we take from this to help us decide where to draw our boundaries? What are the ways the culture entices us to compromise and how can we realistically set the boundaries we want? I really want to encourage you to be intentional about it. My purpose here isn't to say, you should watch this TV show, you shouldn't watch that TV show, or you need to do this, but you shouldn't go visit this particular place. It's not my goal to tell you what to do, what not to do. It is my fervent hope that as we look at this and take this lesson, we'll be intentional about thinking through, hopefully before we get in the situation, where will my boundaries be? Where are the compromises that I won't make? Well, let's take some time in your discussion now and using Daniel and his friends as a springboard, let's have some of those conversations and talk about the way our culture wants to assimilate us and where will we draw our lines on compromise.